Hey, my name's Bill. Good morning. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, I don't know. Some of you know I have three kids, two boys and a girl. And when I found out that we were having a little girl, I have to admit, it was a complete shock, surprise, a lot of fear. I I was not confident that I knew how to be a dad or I had the dad skills uh, to raise a daughter. So uh, being a dad of two boys at the time, eight and 12, so they were pretty established, kind of uh, gone along their way. I, I knew baseball, I knew hockey, I knew kind of rough housing, that kind of stuff. So I didn't really know what was really in store for the whole idea. Uh, we we thought, thought we were done having babies. We're going through the process of thinking maybe we would adopt and going through the classes and prep and all those things. Uh, but I really had no confidence. And so it's been this slow kind of learning process. And, and uh, the one thing in, in all my fear or lack of confidence, the one thing everybody said to me was this. Oh, don't you worry. She's going to figure out how to wrap you around her little finger. You know, they were confident that, you know, there's something about dads and daughters. And, and trust me, Rebecca has absolutely wrapped me around her finger. Uh, <laughs> we break a lot of rules uh, that we didn't do with the boys. But uh, in fact, she even humored me. She, uh, she even played baseball one season. Uh, I got her up on the mound and got the eye black. And uh, it just, you know, she did it once and that was plenty. But uh, our growing relationship, each month we have a daddy-daughter date and, uh, you know, kind of try to be with her and try to show her the, the guy that maybe I'll let her meet someday. Uh, uh, you know, kind of try to set some, some boundaries there. But uh, uh, one of the things, as a little bit of confidence that I've grown to this point, it occurred to me she's nine, which means I have four years, and then she's a teenager, and every bit of confidence and knowledge that I have will be thrown out the window as she enters into those teenage years, and I have to start from scratch all over again. And so those of you who've had teenage daughters, you can, I'll take your class, read your, read your book, or do your seminar, because I, I, that, that scares the life out of me. Uh, all of us have things in our life that we, we, we experienced that we would say, I, I just was not confident or prepared for it. Uh, somebody, can you remember when you had to take the SAT? Uh, can you remember when you went off to college or, or maybe some of you went off to the military and you were out of the home for the very first time? Uh, some of you can remember when you first got married and you got in your first fight and realized I can't go anywhere from this guy. Like, I, I, have to, I have to live with this guy. I can't go home. I am home. I, you, you had those kinds of experiences. Some of you can think of uh, maybe even the trouble that came from a job situation where you got laid off and you realized, wow, we, we did not prepare for this with our savings. We didn't think that it would be this kind of, uh, uh, have this kind of impact on us. All of us face moments in our life, challenges in our life, where we feel uh, this lack of confidence, we are not prepared. And uh, this, what we want to look at during this month of May is uh, we want to talk about what it means to be confident and unashamed. Confident and unashamed. This is our theme as we're going to go through the book of 1 John. And it comes, this whole theme comes out of a verse in this small letter at the end of your Bible where John writes these words. He says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I want to challenge you to memorize this, this one verse. My, that's my, my goal is if you can see this idea, he says, continue in him, remain in him, stay with him. If you do that, and we'll look each week at one way that we can do that, 
that you will be ready when he returns. You'll be confident when he returns. You'll be unashamed. I want you to look like that kid on the front cover. Uh, uh, at the end of five weeks, I want you to be able to go, yeah. Like I, I, you feel some sense of confidence, some sense that, that I can, when he comes, I, I'm anticipating his re- return. I, I don't know what you think of when you hear about Jesus returning. Uh, a lot of times we just kind of get kind of hyped up and in all the, uh, maybe you read Left Behind books or saw movies and you got scared. Like we, I can remember years and years and years ago, there was this old movie that, that we showed here and people got really scared and all of a sudden they wanted to become Christians because they didn't want to get stuck here and everybody was going to vanish and they didn't really know what it meant or, and everybody would talk about all the signs of the world and all these kinds of things going on and oh, this is the sign, this is the one, this is the thing, this is the Antichrist, all these kinds of things that we read in Revelation and stuff like that in the Bible. Jesus had one consistent message, one consistent message about his return. And and it was this, be ready, be ready. Of all the things, if you look at all the stories, all the principles, all the things that he tried to teach about his return, he had one common thread, be ready, be ready. Uh, He would tell a a, a story of uh, uh, a master going away. And on a trip, and he'd say, you know, the, the wise servants, they would be ready for his return. Or he would tell a story about a wedding and, and how the, 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 the brides and the bridegroom, as they're waiting for the bridegroom to come, they would have oil in their lamps ready to go. And some didn't, and they left, and then they came back, and it was already over. They missed it. And so his consistent message again and again and again always was, be ready, be ready. And so with the anticipation of his return, John says this, this idea, and this is our series big idea, if you want to write this down, it's just our simple theme. The whole series, these five weeks is built on this, that Jesus wants us confident and unashamed upon his return. Confident and unashamed upon his return. And this is for us collectively as a church, but individually together. And the way we're going to see this is as we walk through this book, this letter that John writes, First John, it's at the end of your Bible. And so let me, let me maybe remind you of a couple of things about who John is as we think about uh, this letter that he's going to write to the church. John, John was one of the 12. He's one of the 12 disciples. And beyond being one of the 12 disciples, he was one of the three that Jesus seemed to spend special time with. He seemed to be uh, even a little bit more invested in. And it seems that for Peter, James, and John, as we see the church kind of take off, these guys had significant leadership roles in the early church. And so Jesus was highly invested in them. James and John were brothers. Their, their father, Zebedee, they worked for his fishing business alongside uh, Peter and Andrew and their fishing business. They, they were called together. Jesus was about 30 years old when he happened upon them and he called them to follow him. John was probably about 20 at the time, so he was a little bit younger. And in some ways, it's very interesting to watch John's progress through everything. John was a guy who would ask for power and authority. He would ask Jesus, someday, can, we, can me and my brother, can we sit at your left hand and right hand? Uh, they would, they would, there was one time where Jesus was rejected and they said, let's call down, you know, fire from the sky and let's just smoke these guys out. And Jesus, no, it's not what we're going to do. And so it's very interesting as you're going to read this letter to realize how transformed John had become. 
Because if there's one consistent theme to John's letters, to John's, even the themes as we see in uh, his gospel account of Jesus' life, uh, the consistency that, that we see over and over again is we see this idea of love. How much God loves us, how much we are to love one another. And one thing is for certain, everything that John writes, he wants to make sure you know, is that Jesus is God. That he is God. And that, that becomes clear in everything that he writes. And so as we look through this, John writes, uh, he wrote a gospel account of Jesus' life. The book of John. He also writes these letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're going to read 1st first, first John. And then he writes Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible. And, and perhaps most significantly is this. John had a significant friendship with Jesus. In fact, he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. And, and so there's this sense that they seem to have this bond, this real connection. And so in all this, what, what you're going to see is that John is inviting you to know Jesus the way that he knew him. He wants you to have that same kind of bond and that same kind of relationship with Jesus himself. Uh, and so this... This idea of a shared friendship, a shared life together brings us to the big idea that we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at five different things together over our time together. Uh, And here's the first one we're going to look at, that a confident church lives the shared life. A confident church lives the shared life. Now I need to explain what this phrase is, shared life. I think it's much better than using the word that you're going to see in the scripture, which is the word fellowship. Now, if you've been around church anytime, the word fellowship is kind of a churchy word. And it seems to have, if you were to ask someone in the church, define what the word fellowship means. You'd probably say, I'm not sure, but it's always connected to food and fun. Uh, right? You, if you ever had to make a church uh, a flyer in your life, it looks something like this, right? It looks something, do we have that, the, the photo of it? Uh, food fun, and fellowship. I don't know what it is, but every, when I grew up in the church, so I, I didn't start growing to church until I was a teenager, and I would see stuff like this all the time. I still see it all the time, and everyone who makes a, a, a flyer, right? Food, fun, fellowship. I'm like, food I get, fun, I, I, I probably have an idea, but what is the fellowship? What I came to understand fellowship meant was, it was called, it was Baptist Punch, Okay, so Baptist punch is, it's this red punch that has Sprite poured in it, and then I think it's sherbet. I'm not sure what it is. There's some kind of magic chemical in it that makes it frothy and stuff. I think that's, it's sherbet. So it was like food, fun, and fellowship. Oh, the frothy punch will be there. And some kind of enchilada casserole. Some kind of casserole is going to be there. So that's what fellowship meant to me growing up. I had no idea. But the word fellowship is this Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. And, and maybe you've heard this, but the, the idea of koinonia is this. It is to share something in common, something that is significant, something that is important. And so the idea of koinonia is this, the idea of sharing. It, it's shared life. It's shared experience together. And the invitation that John's going to walk into with us is he's going to say, I want you to be drawn into our fellowship. To our koinonia, to our shared life. And our shared life is with each other and our, shared, and our experience of God and our shared life is with God himself. And this is what we're going to see. And so let me invite you, let's look, you've got enough to kind of get started. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, they're in the, uh, right in front of you. Just start from the back because 1 John is almost one of the, it's like fifth from the back, I think. 
uh, letter. So start from the back. First John chapter one, verse one. And let me encourage you over this month, two ways you can really grow. So one, memorize that verse. It's, it's a simple verse, but it's, it's important. It, 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 will, it will plant in your heart the expectation of Christ's return. And with the expectation of his return, I want to be confident and unashamed. Now, I hope you understand in saying this, we're not trying to scare you. So you might have heard stories in the past, like people would like not go to movies and stuff like that. Or you can't be playing cards because what if Jesus came back and you were playing cards? And it was like this kind of panic that took over the world. That's not the idea that John has here. John is so excited about Christ returning us, knowing him face to face, that it's the more you are, you continue in him. And that word continuing him is, is what we looked at a few weeks ago about the vine and the branches. It's to abide. It's to remain. It's to walk with him. The more you walk with him, the more confident you are going to be, the more unashamed, the more expectant you're going to be for his return. Uh, so I want you to memorize that verse. And then the other thing is, as you walk out, there's a, a little one-page devotional. And, and here's the challenge. It's, uh, 1 John is five chapters. You could read it probably in 10 minutes. Uh, I want you to pray through the book of 1 John. Okay, pray through the book of 1 John. So very simple, Pastor Jason put together a very little simple model for you of how you can pray through the book of 1 John. If you miss a day, there's little check boxes. Pick up wherever you left off. But have you, let me ask this, have you ever prayed through an entire book of the Bible? I was thinking, I don't know if I ever have. Like, I'm kind of, I'm really excited about this. And so we want you to pray through the entire book of the Bible. If it takes until May of 2017, take as long as you need to take. But the whole point is, uh, walk through this, see what God wants to impress upon you, what he wants to, to, how he wants you to live it out, how he wants you to pray these things through it. Uh, And so be in a life group. If you're not in a life group, we'll we'll try to find something. Uh, Be here. Memorize. Let's learn this. Let's learn from this this great text. So let's look at this text. Let's start with this text. John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll talk a little bit about what's happening. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, our shared life is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, so this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this scripture. And, and so let's start with this a little bit. Uh, one of the key things to know is what was happening. So why is John writing a letter? And the reason why John is writing a letter is because false teachers had, had come in and had uh, disrupted the church and had left the church and, and people had left with them. And so these teachers had come in and, and uh, they had these beliefs, these false beliefs about Jesus. Uh, it's a teaching that was known as Gnosticism. Uh, it was, it's based on this Greek word uh, for knowledge. And so the idea was simply this. They'd taken some Greek philosophy, mixed it in, kind of tried to supercharge Christianity and, and make it even, an even better version of it. Uh, and so there was two basic convictions. The first was that 
matter or the physical world was evil. And the second was that salvation came through some kind of special, maybe even secret knowledge. Those are kind of two foundational points. You can look up Gnosticism if you want to read more about it. Uh, But John's going to address both those things. In fact, we're going to see uh, one of those things addressed even in the very first verses. But but there were two uh, thoughts about Jesus uh, as this, that maybe he was a, a ghost. He was a phantom. He only appeared to be human when he walked on the earth. That's what some of them believe, because there's no way that God could take on flesh. That just isn't possible. Or maybe he was a man, and at his baptism, the Spirit came on him, and then at the cross, the Spirit departed from him. And so these are things that that John is going to confront. But John confronts it, notice this, he confronts it by this, by talking about his first-hand experience his first hand. Look at verse 2 again. He says this, that the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So John makes something very clear. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to know Jesus. Jesus is the, is the way in which we can know God. And, and of course, this is, was Jesus' own words. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he was praying a prayer. And one of the things that he prayed, and John was there as Jesus was praying, he he said this in John 17, 3. Jesus said this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Think about this. This is what he's saying. Eternal life, the, the heart and substance of eternal life is to know God. Now, maybe when you think of eternal life, you're thinking, someday, my mansion in heaven, someday those streets of gold, someday, and you got all in your mind, all the stuff you're going to get, all the stuff that will be included. And Jesus says, don't worry about the stuff. You wouldn't care if you lived in a shack, if you could know God, if you could be with God. God, if you could see him and be in his presence and take in all who he is, that's what eternal life is. To know God, to know me. This is what eternal life is. And what John does here is he says this. He says, look, here's what we know. That which was from the very beginning, we proclaim the word of life. If you, again, you go back to John 1, some of you maybe are familiar with the, the, the very beginning of John's gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. And then he goes on in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, it, again, these themes are coming up that the, the one who, who was before, love came down. Love came down. The, the one who existed, the one who, the creator came down and took on flesh with us. And so he's saying some very important things that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. He's not half God, half man. He's not all God, no man. He's not all man, no God. He is fully man, fully God. It's a big theological idea, but it's very important that John is saying these things right from the beginning. And he's teaching us that, that Jesus wasn't just someone who was in touch with godly things. No, he was the God-man. 
And so as he dives into this, what we're going to see is this, and you can know him. And you can share your life with him. And you can be in relationship with the one who was from the very beginning. And notice what he begins to say. He, he starts it this way. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, why? That you may have fellowship with us. That phrase, so that, gives us kind of a purpose, a letter. What does he want? He, okay, first thing. I want you to be drawn. He's inviting. He says, I want you to share your life. I want us to live this shared life based on a shared experiences of knowing Jesus. And so the first thing we see there, here is that a confident church has a shared life with each other. With each other. Now John's inviting them more than, to, than, than just, a, he doesn't want them just to have a belief system or a worldview. He's inviting them into a community that is living out a shared experience. We've encountered the, the, the living God through Jesus Christ. One, one author says it this way, and I think he kind of pictures, it's kind of, it kind of captures the video a little bit. But he says this, that Christian community is not some passing association of people who share common sympathies for a cause. Nor is it an academy where an intellectual consensus about God is discovered. It cannot be so superficial. Christian community is partnership in experience. It is the common living of people who have a shared experience of Jesus Christ. They talk about this experience. They urge each other to grow more deeply in it. And they discover that through it, they begin to build a life together unlike any shared life in the world. See, it's important for you to understand something, that to be a part of the the church, the people of God, this is not bonus. This is not extra credit. So I know some people think, well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. And if we want to get into maybe some technicalities, we could push that a little bit. But, but it's hard to really come to, to that conclusion when you realize that Jesus is the one who created this. It's Jesus' idea. So it'd be like saying to Jesus, man, I, I love you. But I, or to say, think of it this way. Say, would you ever say to your friend, I love you. I love hanging out with you. But man, your wife is obnoxious. And I can't stand being around her. I, many times she starts talking, I just like tune her out. And I just, I, I instead, like, I like to go places and think about you. And I like to, you know, I, when, I, when I'm at the ball game, I think about our friendship together. I mean, you would be you're like, dude, what, that, that's not going to, we're not going to have a real good, close, intimate, shared life together. The church is Christ's bride. And so it, it is, it would be offensive to him, certainly. Uh, this is, this is his idea. This is, now, let's be honest, we are all very, very capable of offending each other, of destroying each other's feelings, and doing stupid things to each other. We all know that, don't we? Okay, I'm not giving us any permission to do that. I'm not giving us excuses when that happens. We just know that happens. We're we're people all in process. Our shared life, though, is because we have a shared experience with Jesus and all of us are trying to grow in it. And so we, it, it, we grow from each other. We are inspired by each other. This is why our mission here is this. Think about our mission. To become, uh, to develop you as an authentic follower of Jesus who loves God, one another, and the world. Uh, that one another part is really important. But here's our mission, to develop you, which says this, we all know that we are not developed. We're not there yet. 
but we are learning how to love one another. Uh, Jesus said this. Here's the command he gives his disciples upon leaving. Here's a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. This is his idea in the shared life that we would have together. Uh, he calls us into it. This is why uh, we have here at Beach Point, we have membership. Okay, it's not so you get like a key to the special bathroom or we now show you where we keep the staff jacuzzi and you can now enjoy it too. I mean, there's, we won't shit tell what that is. That's a secret. Okay, all those things. Uh, the point of membership here is that everyone contributes. Everybody serves. Everybody participates. I, I don't, we, we don't want any spectators here. So if you're here, and you're, you've just been, you'd have to say, you know, honestly, I, I've kind of been a spectator. I've just kind of been watching. We want to encourage you. Take that next step. We want you to get into the life. That's why we, we give you a, a shirt that looks like a softball shirt, a softball jersey. We want you to be part of the team. Everybody gets an oar. Everybody has to paddle. This is why Daring Faith was so awesome because it was like an anthill mentality. Everybody chipping in. Everybody doing their part. That's why we do life groups here. So that you could share life with a group of people. You can, the, the shared life of your experience of Jesus, you can, you can have with each other. And you can say, you know, I think he's asking this of me. Can you help me do this? Help me, help me be faithful to what I think God's calling me to. And people in the group can say, we'll pray for that. And we'll encourage that. And we'll inspire that. And we'll equip that. And we'll empower that. And that life together generates this energy. And so a, a great life group, there's accountability. I'm vulnerable with you, and there's responsibility. I care about you, and I will do my part to make sure that you grow deeper and deeper in this experience of knowing him. Uh, the best part, the best part, when I, when I feel like I, I see our church clicking, and I think we're getting it, is when something bad happens, and I show up, and I'm not the first one there. And, and I'm not the last one there. That there's just, the life group is there and that the care kind of, they kind of seize the care away from me and say, Bill, you got other people to take care of. We got it from here. We, we can do it. And I just go, ah, ah, we're getting it. Yes, that's what we want to be. And that's how we, it's meant to be. Are you finding your way in? Are you invested in the shared life with each other? And this is a, a confident church lives the shared life with each other. And I want to encourage you that. If you don't know that yet, if you haven't found your way in, take those risks to find your way in, develop those relationships so that you can live this shared life together. But notice this, that that life is built on something. There's, where that life, this community, gets our, where we get our power and our substance, it's through our fellowship with God himself. Verse three, look again. He says, our fellowship is with the Father, and with, the, and with his son, Jesus Christ. So here's the last thing to write down. A confident church has a shared life with God. A shared life with God. This is John's goal. That you know God and his power and his presence in your life. Now think about this. Here's these false teachers who are saying, God God is just, he's far removed from creation. There's no way he could have created this material universe if any 
God, small God, maybe a small God created the universe, but there's no way God himself could be involved in this universe and creating this world. He's too perfect to be involved with the evilness of a material universe. And John says, Mm-mm, that's not how it happened. Look again at the beginning what he says. John says, no, that which was from the beginning, the creator, we saw him. We saw him. We heard him. We, 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 we were sitting on a mountain one day. We're on this thing and he, he begins to teach us. And at first we thought, okay, here, this is interesting. And all of a sudden he begins to teach. And he's saying, you know how it was said this? I tell you this. And he began to unfold what God really had intended in a commandment or an idea. And he was going through all these things. And he was teaching us all these things. And we got to the end of the teaching. And we're looking at each other going, that was amazing. Who teaches like this with such authority? We heard him. We were in a boat one day and, and, and a storm picked up and the wind and the waves. And, and, and we thought we were going down. We thought we were all going to drown. We were out in the middle. There was no, and we thought if this boat goes down, we have to swim to the shore and we are too far and too weak to make it. And we look and we see Jesus asleep during the storm and we're like, wake up. Don't you care? We're all going to drown. And Jesus stands up and with just a word, he yells silent. And the wind stops and the waves stop. And we're looking at each other and saying, who does this? Who commands the wind to stop? Who commands the waves to stop? We heard him. We touched him. And John could say, I can remember there would be meals and I'd lean up against him. And just in tenderness, he would speak to us about what he was doing. He could say, I remember my friend Thomas, so passionate. One time we were going to go to Jerusalem and, and we realized we were, if we go, we we're going to die. And, and Thomas said, well, then we die with him. He was so passionate about Jesus. He was so determined that when we said, Thomas, he's alive, he's like, there's, I, I want to believe it. I, trust me, I want to believe it, but there's just no way I can believe it unless I can put my finger in the holes. When Jesus in his grace, he appeared and he stuck out his hand and Thomas put his hand, he put his finger in the holes and he fell to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. We touched him. He says, we, we looked at him. That word look means we examined. He's like, we, we, didn't just, we weren't just far away kind of hearing about him. Like we were up close and we, we, we thought deeply and we listened deeply and we examined deeply why it was he came and he explained to us and we began to understand why the creator would enter into the world. That we needed someone to rescue us from sin and God knew God knew we were separated because of our sin, but God didn't leave us there. He sent his one and only son. And we began to understand that the son of God came for us. We examined him. And we knew we could be reconciled to God. The creator, the one, that which was from the very beginning, we, we looked at, we saw, we heard. 
And he says, I want you to know this because I want your, I want our joy to be complete. And when he says that last phrase there, he's just quoting what Jesus's prayer is for you. Because when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was saying, look, I'm telling you all these things because I want my joy to be your joy. Because when my joy is your joy, then your joy will be complete. All the things you're racing after to fill your heart with joy, I can fill it. I can give it to you. Let me give you joy. John says, I know I know the reality of Jesus. I know him and I want you to be confident and unashamed. I want you to share your life with the God of the universe who's come for you. And so I want to ask you this morning as we begin this letter, are you living the reality of a shared life with God and with each other? Are you in relationships with others Figuring out how to go deeper and and to explore this more and more. I I don't want you just to agree that these are good things to do. I'm asking the question, are you living it? Are you pursuing it? Are you doing something about it? Are you looking for a way to know God deeper? The way he wants to be known. I want to close our time in this service uh, this way. Uh, We're going to celebrate something together. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he did something spectacular. He, they're having this meal, this Passover meal, and they're remembering the salvation of God out of slavery and all these symbols of each part of the meal. And then Jesus adds this wrinkle to it. He takes bread and he breaks it and he passes it to his disciples and he says this. He says, this is my body. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. I mean, here they were. They saw, they heard, they knew, they examined. Here's this real human flesh. And what they realized was, and what they had come to see after is this. That which was from the very beginning, the word in the beginning, the word who took on flesh, came into this world By his own choosing, by his own sacrifice, it was his desire out of his love for you. He came into this world, took on a body, took on flesh. Why? To allow his body to be broken in your place. That as his body was broken and his blood was shed, it would cover over. It It would be the sacrifice of all sacrifices to cover over your sin. You would not have to pay for your sin any longer. This is how much God loved you. So he took a cup and he passed and he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And and they shared in that meal and the church for 2,000 plus years since has been meeting and we've shared together, whether you call it communion or the Eucharist or Lord's Supper. It's a time where where, where we have this shared experience where we together join And we take the bread and the cup and together we remember what he did for us. And that we're in relationship with him. And I want to encourage you, if you have not begun a life with Jesus yet, today is your day. Today is your moment. This is your moment. In a moment, we're going to pass this bread and this cup to you. There's two cups. They're stacked together. Grab them both. 
And if you could say, the best of my knowledge, I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'd call myself a Christian, but I'm not, I, I really don't know. If you don't have that confidence, just place it in the rack in front of you. And today decide. Do you want to know him who from the very beginning, before he even created the world, loved you? Made you? And chose, even when we rebelled against him, to come into this world and break his body and shed his blood to forgive your sins so that you could be with him now and forever. If you want to know him, tell him this morning, just the simplest of words, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. I need your salvation. Come into my life. And today, with your help, I begin, I choose, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to share in this life, in these people. I want to follow you with them. And he will hear that prayer, and he will forgive your sins, and he will wash them away, and he will fill your heart with his spirit, and you will begin a life with him this day. And so if you want to know that shared life with God, that shared life with each other, if you're ready then pray that and take that bread and remember Jesus broke his body for you. And then when you're ready, take that cup and together as we're taking the bread and the cup, it's a chance for us to share this life, this life we have of being saved by his grace, saved by his love. That the, the one who created this whole world came into this world, broke himself for us so that we could know him now and forever. Let me pray for this. Father, I pray for each person as they communion with you, as they have this moment of intimacy and reflection, that they would remember how good it is uh, to, to know you. And we eat this bread and we drink this cup to proclaim your death until you come again. We believe that you are coming and we believe that our life is a life to be spent with you now and forever. And so may uh, these symbols fill our heart with the joy, the confidence that we belong to you. We pray this in your name, amen. As you're ready, eat and drink.